out of paper, out of stock. There's friendly faces around the block. Break loose from the chains that are causing you pain. Call Michael and Stanley, Jim Dwight Creek. Hello, everybody. This is the sixth episode of Out of Paper. Woo! Episode title: Hot Girl. You know what I did before this episode, Dan? What'd you do, Rob? Took a little visit to the Promised Land. Got bucked up. Really? Oh yeah, real bucked up. Interesting. I had to because. I was up at 6.30 this morning making mini quiches for pie day at work. Okay. What kind of quiches did you make? Uh, let's see. They had spinach, red pepper, goat cheese, caramelized onion, and roasted garlic. Sounds great. Oh, yeah. Big hit. Very nice. So what made you choose Starbucks? Because it's places. right around the corner from where I work. That's good reason. Normally, I very much avoid Starbucks, but... You know, when it's right there. Yeah, no, I get it. I hate it because I really don't like their coffee. Yeah, I, know, I think, isn't there a Black Rock on the way? I don't know which way you went. There is, but I'd have to, you know, it's not right there in the same parking lot. Fair enough, that's true. So. Yeah, and I feel like, I mean, if we're comparing coffee places, Black Rock's okay, but it's not a huge step up from the promised land. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's it's better. Yeah. I like their their pre-made drinks. They're pretty good. I do all of their graphics and menus and Oh yeah, you were just doing that last week. Yep. But yeah. So you should get like free coffee for that or something. <laughs> <laughs> I do, at least when I'm in store installing all of their graphics. Fair enough. So but yeah, I don't have like an insider account where I can just be like, hey, I do your signs. Where's my coffee? Maybe when you guys land the Dutch Bros account. You know what's funny is uh, a guy I work with used to work for Dutch Brothers, and I found out that um, the owners of BlackRock, the guy who started it was also a founder of Dutch Brothers and ended up leaving the company to form BlackRock. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, because they're very similar in their business models. I also uh, I saw an interview at some point with the founder of dutch bros and he specified it's not dutch brothers it's dutch bros that's bros he was in a fraternity Mm. and that's specifically how he intends it (laughs) makes it even douchier yeah a little bit (laughs) they're very enthusiastic whenever you go yeah almost frighteningly enthusiastic no black rock's the same way uh, really the ones i've been to they're always in a pretty good mood but they're usually not not as super in your face about it yeah not pretending like there's a party going on inside. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Having the best day ever, brah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that is how they approach it sometimes. It's weird. Yeah. It's just creepy. It's like I've I've served coffee to people for money before. Like, you can't be having that great a day. No. Mm. Although I do kind of fantasize sometimes about having, like, my own little coffee slash record shop. Really? Ah, that'd be the dream. How about a coffee slash record cart? <laughs> yeah i mean i i could start with a small too. record yeah, selection yeah, that's true yeah not bad not sweet bad man if you will it it is no dream it is no dream vi lenin <laughs> yeah i want uh, you know I, 
I doubt it would take that much startup money to do a cart. Yeah. Huh. Something to consider. Yeah. All right, let's get into some office news. Uh, we got a couple things this week. Kind of exciting. I saw that. Yeah. Yeah, big week for the office. For, <laughs> yeah. For this show that's been done for years. Yeah. <laughs> so um, there was a petition. Someone started a petition for an official The Office Lego set. And it received enough signatures for Lego to officially consider releasing it. Yeah, I saw that. Have you seen, did you see the Lego set? Yeah, itself? yeah. The mock-up cool. of it. Yeah, I would buy it. Yeah. I don't even, I'm not even a big Lego guy, but I think it'd be fun. Yeah, no, I, I feel like if I didn't have the cat, I'd probably uh, buy it too. Yeah. Yeah. So the mock-up includes like the main floor of the office, Michael's office, the conference room, accounting reception, and then Jim slash Daryl's office, which is added in later seasons. Right. Um, does not include the annex or the break rooms. Includes all of the main characters except Toby. <laughs> <laughs> I found that to be pretty funny. And it's Poor funny Toby. because they include Kelly, who's also in the annex. So it's they don't. They don't exclude Toby because he's in the annex because they have Kelly. So it must just be because he's Toby. Well, they have the whole office family and, you know, technically Toby is part of corporate, (laughs) so he's not part of their family. Yeah. And since he's divorced, he's not part of his own family either. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Uh, And the set will will include 2,161 pieces total, which is Seems like a pretty high piece count. It's a pretty big. I feel like their bigger ones are like five thousand pieces. So it's. You know. mm. I feel like the biggest ones I ever got were probably a couple thousand, maybe as a kid. Yeah, I feel like I had to like really beg for those as birthday gifts. I think the biggest one I ever had was like some ice planet base station. Oh yeah, the ice planet base. Yeah, I always liked that one. Oh man, that was a good one. I think my biggest one was the underwater base, which I liked uh, because yeah, it also yeah. came with like a decent sized submarine uh-huh. as well as a mini sub. Right. You could put like three of the little Lego people in the my, sub. Uh, my friend who lived down the street from me had that. Yeah. Yeah, it was a good one. Pretty good. Uh, in other news, Michael Schur has accepted a $125 million five year contract to stay with NBC Universal Television. Yeah, I saw that. So I assume that's primarily focused on the good place, but I guess if that and the other show that he's doing the pilot for, uh, oh, I didn't realize that was also NBC. Yeah, uh, someone's Abby's Bar, I think, or something like that. Right, we talked about that. Yeah, I'm excited. Eventually ruled bar. I think that's actually going to be coming out in April or May. So really? soon. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I'm excited. Keep an eye out for that. I did read that uh, Cal Penn who I believe is Kumar, and Harold and Kumar is going to be one of the main characters, if not the main character. Okay. So, yeah. I mean, I've, I've, I've enjoyed his acting in the past, so. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you know what? We also got to hop on, assuming that it's not already too late. Mm-hmm. Greg Robinson tickets for next month. Ooh, yeah. We do need to do that. Try to do that after this recording session. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> cool. Well, now uh, it's been set in stone. Set in stone. Hard drive. You guys can hold us accountable if we, we don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> Considering we still haven't launched any of these episodes live, <laughs> we expect you to. <laughs> That's right. Um, and uh, there was a Creed spotting at a marijuana dispensary. I saw that too. Yeah. 
I don't know where the dispensary was, but I have to assume in LA or in the LA area. Yeah. The Reddit user who uh posted the picture, his name is uh Are You a Hollygram? <laughs> yeah. That's like a good that. one. Yeah. Devoted office fan. Actually but. never heard that one before. <laughs> <laughs> so uh that's a relatively deep cut too, I feel like. Yeah. Kind of is. I like it. Yeah. All right, so episode six, titled Hot Girl, aired on April 26th, 2005. Uh, it was written by Mindy Kaling, who is Kelly Kapoor. It was, uh, it's the first of 22 episodes that she writes for the series. I, for some reason, I thought she wrote more. I mean, not I that mean, that's not a good amount. She was always in the writing room, but... Okay, that's like her written by credit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. These were her like, yeah. Cool. Yeah. And uh, it was directed by Amy Heckerling, who has a pretty impressive resume. I didn't, you know. What's on it? Well, we'll get oh, there. we'll get there. Yeah, we're, <laughs> okay. we're going to go over her bio. Hers is short. But first, let's introduce ourselves to Mindy Kaling, whose full name is, and I'm going to butcher this, and this is why she goes by Mindy Kaling, but uh, her name is Vera Mindy Chocklingham. Shakalingham, Shakalingham, something like that. Born June 24th, 1979, known professionally as Mindy Kaling. Right. She's an American actress, comedian, and writer. From 2005 to 2013, Kelly Kapoor on The Office. And uh, also a main writer, in addition to executive producer and occasional director, uh, she won a Primetime Emmy Award nomination for Outstanding Writing in a Comedy Series in 2010. So I guess she didn't win. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah. Born in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Uh, father to an architect. And, she's father to an architect? Uh, no. No, she's not. <laughs> um, her life is pretty interesting. <laughs> her father was an architect. Her mother was an obstetrician slash ah. gyno. Oh, you know what? Hmm. That makes a lot of sense considering the Mindy Project. Right. Yeah, Is she an that. obstetrician in that? Yeah. Oh, okay. That's like most of what the show's about. It's her, right. her job. I just didn't remember what kind of doctor she was. Ah, okay. Fair enough. My nickname around the office is Robstetrician. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what brought that about? <laughs> My general manager just likes giving people ridiculous nicknames. So everybody has like five different nicknames. I kind of like that. That's like a yeah. Tom Haverford, Ron Swanson-esque nickname. Like there's no underlying <laughs> yeah. logic. Right. Yeah, Ron no. Tonimo Bay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ron DeLisa Rice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's exactly like that. I love it. Yeah. Um, so we're going to call you that on the show from now on, Rob's right? Obstetrician. Yeah, sure. If you want. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to remember after today. <laughs> uh, her parents are from India. They met while working at the same hospital in Nigeria. Her father's an architect, and her mother's a doctor. Maybe he was building the hospital. She was already working there. <laughs> well, she maybe, was half she, maybe she already. was consulting to, like, you know, meet the needs of be. an obstetrician. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe he was a patient to the hospital. Well, it says, I mean, it says they were working at the same hospital. Oh, uh, okay. That's right. Yeah. Well, I'm sure it's an interesting story, whatever it is. Oh, so yeah, here we go. He was overseeing the building of a wing of the hospital, and her mother was working there as an OBGYN. Ah, so, nice. There you go. We were right, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> More or less. 
Uh, emigrated to the U.S. in 1979, the same year Mindy was born. I guess to Massachusetts, to Cambridge. Yep. Uh, Mindy says she's never been called Vera as her first name, but um, probably a good call. Yeah, it's and, not a flattering name. Yeah, it's kind of dated at this point. Yeah, I don't think I've like. met anybody named Vera that yeah. went by Vera at least. Um, so her parents started calling her Mindy after they knew they were going to move here because they thought it was a cute American name. Oh, okay, but that was before she was born, I guess. Right. Yeah. Uh, and they got the name from the TV show Mork and Mindy. <laughs> Isn't that funny? That's great. Yeah. Um, she graduated from Buckingham Brown and Nichols. Okay. I believe that's how you pronounce that. Uh, private school in Cambridge. Went to Dartmouth College. Member of the improvisational troupe The Dog Day Players. And wrote for the comic strip Badly Drawn Girl. Was that when she was in college or after? uh, During. Oh, okay. Yeah. The strip was in the the weekly newspaper, The Dartmouth. Cool. Yeah. I guess we got to read up on all of those backstrips now. (laughs) Add it to the list. Add it to the list. We could watch it. We can read them while we watch Jack Ryan. You know, double up on some of these. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you got some catching up to do on that one. I'm already five episodes deep. (laughs) <laughs> how many how, how long how many weeks have you been five episodes deep now <laughs> since about christmas okay <laughs> i got some time i guess <laughs> yeah uh so while at college um she was an intern at late night with conan o'brien hey another conan alumni it seems like a lot of these people worked with conan mm-hmm. maybe conan is like a better like five steps to kevin bacon than kevin bacon is it seems like at least regarding the office yeah for real at least in the comedy world yeah. in general you know? maybe you don't even need six degrees to get to conan it's like the three degrees of conan o'brien yeah. everyone in show business and, and uh, he even is in an episode of the office no that's right <laughs> that's funny <laughs> i love that i was talking to the take the fake tina fey you serious <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so after school, she moved to New York City as, and uh, worked as a PA for the John Edwards Psychic Show. Wow. She hated it. I mean, I could imagine why. Did you ever see that show when it was on? Uh, I mean, I feel like I maybe caught bits and pieces, but no, I never, I never watched an episode front to back. I don't know if I ever did that, but my mom always really loved oh, really? The psychic kind of shows. Oh, so man. I feel like I definitely caught snippets here and there. It's so, like, what, if you watch clips of them doing their psychic stuff back to back, it becomes very apparent what they're doing. Oh, yeah. Like, just asking general questions and, like, whittling it down from there. Like, it, it's not hard. I feel like anybody could do it. You've I just got to be a good actor about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's just cold reading. Right. Stupid. Uh, I agree. No um, offense to any of our listeners that may be psychics, but if you are, then you already saw that coming. So and you know, you know it's what? kind of I, on you for still listening. And I also, you know, if if you can make money doing it and people believe you, then pff, go for it. Yeah, I just you know, yeah, um, be an alternate career path for either of us. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. We could team up, uh, have our own show. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. So while she was in, <laughs> while she was PA for John Edwards, she was also starting to do stand up, and uh, she toured solo and with Craig Robinson as she came up in the scene. Wow! So yeah, they kind of launched their comedy careers together. That's awesome. That was kind of cool. Yeah, 
2002, Kaling portrayed Ben Affleck in an off-Broadway play called Matt and Ben, which she co-wrote with her best friend from college, Brenda Withers. And Brenda played Matt Damon, and the play was based off of Ben and Matt writing Goodwill Hunting. Interesting. Yeah. And uh, Time Magazine, it was in their top 10 theatrical events of the year. Wow. 2002. So that's kind of how she probably gained notoriety. I wonder if we could find any footage of that somehow, somewhere. Probably. If recorded it. Probably. I feel like of all the joking about things to check out and random people's backlogs, that I would be weirdly interested in. Yeah, just to see how sure. you make a very entertaining play about mm-hmm. Matt Damon and Ben Affleck writing Goodwill Hunting. And it wasn't even based in like anything that happened in reality. It's just what the two of them imagined the writing process would be like between them. I mean, that sounds great. Yeah. No, sounds better than Goodwill Hunting. Absolutely. I totally <laughs> agree. Um, in 2004, when The Office producer Greg Daniels was working to adapt The Office from the BBC TV series, he hired Kaling as a writer-performer after reading a spec... A spec... <laughs> spec script? Yes. <laughs> after reading a spec script, she wrote. Uh, he said she's very original. If anything feels phony or lazy or passe, she'll pounce on it. So yeah, that tells me that even though she only wrote 22 episodes, she was still very much involved in helping other people with their scripts and stuff. And yeah, so she's, she's a good writer. Mm-hmm. I don't think I ever made it through all of the mini project, but I've definitely seen most of it. And yeah, yeah, great show. Sure. Um, she was only 24 years old when she joined the writing team on The Office, and she was the wow. only woman on a staff of eight writers. Wow. Mm-hmm. And after The Office, she uh, pitched a single-camera comedy to Fox called The Mindy Project. I didn't realize it was a single-camera show. Me neither. Yeah, but thinking about it, I don't know, mate. <laughs> Well, was know. it in practice, or did she? That's just what I'm trying to think. I, I don't know anymore. I, I feel like Let's it wasn't. Find out. Yeah, the internet. It looks like yeah. My, I think I think it was. Okay, cool. Interesting. Good for her. It looks like her newest show is also a single camera show. Champions. You ever see that? I haven't. I've noticed it on Netflix the past couple of days. The only reason I actually did notice it is the cover that Netflix chose to go with was Mindy Kaling's face. Is it a, it's not a Netflix show though. No, it looks like it was an NBC show. Oh, okay. That stars Ander Holm, Anders Holm from Workaholics. Oh, right. Yeah. Oh, you know and what? I've seen the promo I don't know much about it. For that now, but yeah, that, I'd be down to check that out. Let's do it. So Mindy's TV debut is as Richard Lewis's assistant in Curb. Wow, that's the first time she was ever on TV? Apparently. That's crazy. That is crazy. She was great. Yeah. And she felt very real and authentic, too. Mm-hmm. I had no idea that was her first appearance. And her film debut is 40-Year-Old Virgin. I knew that. I didn't know that. Yeah. She has a very small part in that, but she's still great. True. I mean, maybe like five lines, right. five seconds of screen time oh, yeah. overall at best. Yeah, yeah. Well, Paul, Paul Rudd is talking about her the entire movie. Oh, right. Okay, now I remember. I haven't seen that movie in a long time. Yeah, I just rewatched it the other day on Netflix. Oh, so nice. it's fresh in my mind. <laughs> she only shows up when uh, they take Steve Carell on a uh, to a speed dating event. 
Mm. She pops up in the rotation first for Paul Rudd, and he begs for her to come back to him. It's just like, dude, we dated for like two months, like three years ago. Like, come on. (laughs) (laughs) And then Seth Rogen yells at her for uh, continuously like harassing his friend and like no he's pretty much stalking me i had to like move change my phone number i didn't know that (laughs) yeah (laughs) i apologize (laughs) uh she appeared in the film unaccompanied minors as a waitress in 2007 she held a small part in license to wed which it seems like half of the cast of the office has been in um interesting she was in the 2009 film night at the museum battle of the smithsonian which okay. also starred Amy Adams, who appears in this episode. She was in Wreck-It Ralph. She was discussed in Pixar's film Inside Out. Like, discussed at... Oh, so, the, she was the, the yeah, character discussed. Right. I thought you meant, like, discussed, like, people spoke about her. I was like, <laughs> no, spoke no, about, no. like, yeah, yeah, a yeah. character <laughs> she did? Or, like, she got brought up during the movie somehow? Like, blah, 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 Mindy Kaling. No, yeah, that was her character. <laughs> Gotcha. I never saw that movie. I didn't either. Uh, Car- I, Carrie watched it, though, and kind of explained it to me. So, like, it's supposed to be really good. I yeah. feel like I, I, one I want to get around to one day. Yeah. Seems pretty interesting. Yeah. Amy Poehler, I think, is like the lead. Really? Yeah. Oh, man. Now I really want to check it out. Yeah. Um, and then in 2017, NBC ordered Champions. So it was NBC. And she's a co creator, writer, and producer. And she has a recurring guest role on the show. Cool. Yeah. And it premiered a year ago, March yeah. of 2018. I saw that. Um, in 2018, she played Mrs. Who in A Wrinkle in Time, oh. which is the live action Disney movie. But that was really bad. Yeah, I heard that too. And she was also in Ocean's 8, the all female version of Ocean's 11. Starring Sandra Bullock. So they went back to eight? Kate Blanchett. When did that come out? Uh, last year. Huh. It was pretty good. I wonder why they went with eight. I don't know. Maybe like 14 or 15 or something? Yeah, I mean, at a certain point, yeah. it gets ridiculous to have like a crew that large to pull <laughs> off like a heist. Oh, is that where the names are derived from? The size of the crews? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I've seen Ocean's Eleven, and then I saw like half of the one after that. Oceans, yeah, Oceans Before Twelve. Stopped, they added the exact same. Movie. They added Julia Roberts into the fold, who was George uh, Clooney's romantic interest. Yeah, and then Oceans Thirteen. I can't even remember who the additional person was, but Mindy Kaling, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> reprised her role in Eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that does it for Mindy Kaling. The director is Amy Heckerling, born May seventh, nineteen fifty four. Is she's an American film director. She directed, uh, her big movies are Fast Times at Ridgemont High, National Lampoon's European Vacation, which is a great movie, Uh, Look Who's Talking, and Clueless. Look Who's Talking. Yeah. You see that movie? Oh, yeah. I used to love that as a kid. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, I actually just earlier today listened to the How Did This Get Made for Look Who's Talking (laughs) 2. Nice. She did not direct that one. No, I don't think they did a How Did This Get Made for Look Who's Talking because as far as they go, it was like not a horrible movie. Right, right. But uh, I don't know if I ever saw two, but it sounds real rough and very peculiar. Yeah, I don't know if I ever saw the second one either. It sounds bananas. Yeah. Not a good way. So check this out. Fast Times at Ridgemont High launched the careers 
of Judge Reinhold, Jennifer Jason Lee, Nicholas Cage, who went by Nicholas Coppola at the time. Sense. Sean Penn, Forrest Whitaker, and Eric Stoltz. That was their film debut, all of those actors. Wow, I didn't realize that that was the first thing. Isn't that crazy? That is a in. huge list of like yeah really amazing actors we should probably look up who did the casting for fast times original yeah, for real i mean she, from what i read she was heavily involved in picking the people okay so i know that uh it was said that sean penn was just even in the audition room or waiting room to audition and like she was in there you know taking notes on something before they started the auditions and even before he said anything, she just got this vibe off of him that she wanted him to play Spicoli. Good choice. Yeah. And what uh, would the movie have been like <clears throat> if instead of Sean Penn, it was Judge Reinhold? Oh, God. <laughs> that would have been weird. <laughs> uh, and or Forrest is, Whitaker. This is the only episode she directed. Yeah, I saw that. That's yeah. interesting. <sighs> Maybe she just didn't want to direct anymore. Yeah, I don't know. It doesn't... She doesn't do a lot of work so maybe she's just very selective about what she does hmm. i don't know doesn't do much tv it's kind of amazing that they got her to do this yeah it's interesting yeah. and it's like a good episode but i don't know if there's anything that i right. point to the directing i'd be like wow like you know that's yeah you know you got a pro agreed yeah yeah maybe tv is just not her forte right i was just gonna say that like uh, no ken quapis <laughs> no <laughs> <laughs> no Ken Quippy. All right, so the episode opens. We see Michael sitting at his desk, just randomly sticking pencils in the spaces between the keys on his keyboard. He's got a bunch of them in there. Oh, yeah. There's four or five. Four or five sticking out. I feel like some of them have the points facing <laughs> up, like about half of them. Yeah. <laughs> Seems like a really terrible idea yeah. right he, beneath he, your face. He looks really bored. <laughs> and all of a sudden, over the speakerphone, we hear Jan say, are you listening, Michael? <laughs> what did I just say? <laughs> Let me check my notes and just starts ruffling random papers. And Jan loses patience and just tells Michael again that there's a new incentive program for sales associates. The prize is $1,000 for the top salesman at the end of the month. And, uh, you know, the, the sum of money piques Michael's interest. He goes, ooh thousand big ones <laughs> so michael proceeds to ask jan if a great salesman from the past that was so good at sales they got promoted to manager was eligible for the prize and jan of course is like michael that you can't you can't get this prize and michael's like, <laughs> i didn't mean oh, me i didn't mean me that's <laughs> <laughs> uh, so good uh so michael and dwight get together uh before that oh. happens i noticed that there was like a single brief shot right after that um, segueing to Michael and Dwight being together mm -hmm. that was Oscar working at his desk and he had a cup of pencils next to him that was mostly empty. I was wondering like, do you think there was, there was just a random shot or it was meant to signify that Michael stole all those pencils <laughs> off Oscar's desk? <laughs> I don't even know. That was to funny. play with. Right. I was, I was trying to figure out like, I don't know why they would even have that establishing shot specifically because it's like i mean it's just kind of the room but it's really just 
right yeah. there next to Oscar, and he's not doing anything. He's on his computer or Could be. messing with papers or something. Yeah. I don't know. That'd yeah. be, that's a funny little subtle thing to put in there. I like yeah, that. I thought so too. That's the directing, you know? That's yeah. that cinematic right. there directing you, you get there. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Michael and Dwight get together in his office. They are brainstorming about what prize would best motivate the sales staff. And... Uh, <laughs> What are Dwight's answers? Oh, yeah, no, but Michael is asking <laughs> or what, motivates, what motivates people. Yeah. <laughs> Dwight's like, sex. <laughs> no, torture. <laughs> Come on, Dwight. <laughs> well, first what we have to do is find out what motivates people more than anything else. Sex. It's illegal. Can't do that. Next best thing. Torture. Come on, Dwight. Just help me out here. That's just stupid. Um, Michael? Pam! Hey, there's... Burger with cheese! There's a person here. Hey, Jake. What? Go ahead. There's a person here who wants to sell handbags. No, no, no. No vendors in the office. That is a distraction. Okay, I told her you talked Pam, to her at Pam, least. Pam, come on. I'm busy. So just tell her to go away. Okay. <sighs> All right, I'll talk to her. It's interesting that uh, that Pam is like trying to help. Katie out and knows Michael well enough. Like, I assume she knows that he's not going to be down to have a vendor in the office at this point. She's yeah. worked with him long enough, but also knows that Michael being Michael, if he actually speaks to her is going to suddenly be like, Oh yeah, sure. Of course. Do you think she's doing it to help Katie sell purses? Or do you think she's doing it to help Michael not be harassing her all day, the entire day? Because she does kind of mm. relish in the fact that Michael has another woman in the office to right. give his attention to. Right. I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah. How tricky is Pam being here? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe not even at all. You know, maybe she just, you know, someone came, asked if they could sell handbags, and instead of, like, just flat out saying no, she made a show of it by going to ask Michael. That could be. So it's like the car dealership, you know, they go into the little room and they <laughs> yeah, pretend they're right. having a real conversation. <laughs> could be. But uh, yeah, so anyway, Michael gets a look at this girl, walks out of his office and just <laughs> walks up to, to Pam and Katie and says, oh, cock in the hen house. Cocks in the hen house. <laughs> <laughs> Don't say cocks. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so that's how he introduces himself to Katie. Uh, looks at her and points out that he's like, whoa, you're like Pam 6.0. <laughs> New and improved. New and improved. And oh. Camera pan. No cat pans fights. over to Pam, yeah. No cat fights, you two. Uh, and it's he, really hard to watch Michael in this episode. Yeah, it is. He agrees to give her the conference room for the day to sell her handbags and purses. There's going to be an HR meeting in there uh, yeah, later, though. Yeah, that Pam protests a little bit. So, yeah. oh, well, Michael, there's going to be an HR meeting. And uh, Michael's like, yeah, whatever. We'll stick him in the hallway, give him some, give him some chairs. <laughs> <laughs> also, who's going to be in this HR meeting? Because the HR department is just Toby. Maybe that's the only room where they have, like, a conference call phone. But, yeah, I guess at the same time, yeah. Toby could just be on his phone in a conference call. That's true. Yeah. Well, did they really have cell phones then? What year was this? Well, no, I'm not saying his cell phone. Oh, okay, phone. I see. Right. Um, 
or just at the annex. It's possible that for whatever reason, like other HR reps are going to be in Scranton for the meeting. Yeah, that is possible. But Companies we, like to fly people around or for right, no reason. Make them drive. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Michael goes to show Katie your new digs. Check out the conference room. And uh, he's really putting himself out there, making sure that she knows that he's available to her all day, whatever she needs, whenever she needs it. He'll be right there, just on the other side of the wall. <laughs> there used, used to be a window there. There used to be a window there. <laughs> There's not any more. <laughs> Seems pretty bummed out about that now. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, maybe to placate Michael a little bit, Katie expresses that she's interested in a cup of coffee. And Michael <laughs> runs with this. This concept of coffee is fertile ground to like really play up this common interest that they both have. Yeah, and it's also hard to watch. <laughs> yeah. The most excited anybody has ever Very, been about coffee. The desperation is just wafting <laughs> off of him. So, uh, if you need anything else, something to make you more comfortable, just don't hesitate to ask. I'm right uh, here. I guess a cup of coffee would be great. Wait a second. Ugh, I should have spotted another addict. Ugh, gotta love the box. What? It's like a slang for Starbucks. They're all over the place. Oh, man. That place is like the promised land to me. What a business model, too. Oh, too bad we don't have the good stuff here. A regular coffee is fine. No, it's not. It's... No, really, it is. No, here's the thing. You know, I do my best to... to be my own man and to go by the beat of a different drummer and nobody gets me. And they're always putting up walls, and I'm always tearing them down. Just breaking down barriers. That's what I do all day. So, a coffee. Regular coffee. For you. High test or unleaded? Bring it on. Yo. Oh. Yeah. Ooh, I will. I'll bring it on. All right. <laughs> so, I like that the reason that regular coffee is not okay compared to starbucks is that michael is like tries to be his own man and go by the beat of his own drummer but nobody understands him so he's constantly just breaking down walls somehow that relates to starbucks that's why you need starbucks right. <laughs> i think starbucks missed a great opportunity for an ad campaign when this episode came out you know yeah if you're your own person yeah he's just always breaking down walls uh when uh whenever people need coffee at work they say they're gonna pop over to starbucks and get bucked up i always thought that would be a good really ad campaign for starbucks wow yeah that would be get bucked up like a like a real actual good yeah right yeah campaign yeah so do you get high test or unleaded i i just get their black i just drink the only coffee i ever drink is just black coffee yeah I don't do the lattes and the fancy caramel maki whatevers. And you don't know the word macchiato? I do. <laughs> I don't even like saying it. It's like faux pretension. I don't know. Or real pretension. Yeah. I feel like it used to be real pretension, and now it's gotten to the point where Starbucks is so mainstream that... I so you know. can't even be a Starbucks snob. It's like you're, no. you're trying to be, but... That's that's like yeah, yeah. That's 
So were you saying we're the real snobs? <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, we do live in a coffee town. The anti anti macchiato snobs. Yeah, I don't hate <laughs> macchiatos. Hmm? I don't hate macchiatos. I don't even really under. I don't even know what it is. Like, I don't know either. What honestly. makes a macchiato different than a latte? Or it a, just has a lot of caramel syrup in it. Right. My first or no, my second girlfriend. That's all she drank at Starbucks was a caramel macchiato. Those were big in high school. Yeah. Again, I I firmly believe that people just like saying macchiato. Yeah. Yeah. This is a fun word to say. It is. All right. So let's introduce ourselves to Amy Adams. Full name, Amy Lou Adams. Hello, Amy. Hello, Amy. <laughs> Milady. Milady. <laughs> Born August 20th, 1974. She's an American actress known for both her comedic and dramatic performances. She is featured thrice in annual rankings of the highest paid actresses in the world. Wow. She was born in Vicenza, Italy, and raised in Castle Rock, Colorado. She is the fourth of seven siblings. Wow. Yeah. it's a lot of siblings. She was trained to be a ballerina, but at age 18 found musical theater a better fit. So yeah, she started out doing dinner theaters. Huh. She did that for five years at various places before she branched out into film and TV. Wow. Yeah, that's dedication. In 2000, she was in Psycho Beach Party. Her first high-profile part was in the Steven Spielberg film Catch Me If You Can. Oh, uh, yeah. I think she, she was, was yeah. She Flight was attendant. Right. She was Leonardo DiCaprio. Leonardo DiCaprio's first romantic interest in that movie. Okay, I guess they didn't get married. No. And Spielberg was quoted in an interview saying that he was really shocked her career didn't take off like immediately after that film because apparently she was unemployed for a year after it was released, which is crazy to me. It's amazing to me that someone as talented as she is has that hard of a time breaking in. It just goes to show there's probably a lot of like undiscovered talent out there. Oh, yeah. yeah. I feel like there's a lot of people that are never going to get a chance and nobody's ever going to know their name or see their face that are way more talented than a lot of the people who we know like well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Shortly after that, she was cast in a feature film called The Last Run, but nobody really went to see it while it was in theaters and it didn't do very well. And at this point, she actually considered leaving the profession just not acting anymore be appropriate to make your last project something called last run right (laughs) but fortunately in 2005 she was cast in a pretty large part in the film june bug she dyed her hair red for the part which she was blonde before and decided to just keep her hair red she played the romantic interest of ricky bobby in talladega nights she voiced the character of a animated disney film underdog before being cast as princess giselle in enchanted she was in the film sunshine cleaning playing the sister of emily blunt who is now john krasinski's wife interesting yeah what was that about um oh i read it they're a cleaning company but they end up cleaning up crime scenes to make extra cash oh yeah they're Sounds like, yeah, it was two sisters who formed like this struggling cleaning company in order to make ends meet. They started like cre- cleaning up like murder scenes and stuff for the mob. 
Okay, so they're like illegally cleaning up. Right, the crime right. Scene. Oh, okay. I thought first that it was like that was their job, like on the up and up. Oh, no, no. Because there are companies that do only that, apparently. Yeah, right. Specialize in like violent crime cleanups. Yeah. Somebody's <laughs> got to do it. And yeah. Not everybody knows how to like wash blood out blood of things. Out of stuff, yeah. Ugh. I bet they yeah. see some pretty gruesome scenes. Yeah. And I, I just like, I imagine just from the risk of like disease and stuff, you have to like get way more gloved up and oh yeah suited up than you would for a normal cleaning job probably just shy of a hazmat suit yeah um she starred in the film doubt opposite meryl streep and again philip seymour hoffman that was a great movie yeah she described her collaboration with streep and hoffman as a master class in acting yeah no doubt yeah uh she was nominated for an academy award golden globe and bafta award for best supporting actress or for her role uh Following this, she was in Night at the Museum, Battle for the Smithsonian. She played Amelia Earhart. Uh, she was in the romantic comedy Leap Year before being cast in the David O. Russell film The Fighter, uh, for which she was nominated for a Golden Globe Academy Award and, and a BAFTA, winning the BAFTA for Best Supporting Actress. She was in the 2011 Muppets film. In 2012, she was cast in the movie The Master, by Paul Thomas Anderson. Oh yeah, I forgot she was in there as Peggy Dodd again with Philip Seymour Hoffman. Time two or three? With That's Philip three. Okay. So the first one was Charlie Wilson's War, right? Then right. Doubt, and then The Master. Yeah, what an intense movie. Yeah, and this was the last time she worked with Hoffman, and she had said in interviews she deeply admired him, and I'm pretty sure both of them were friends outside of the movies they were in. Huh. She received. An Academy nomination, Golden Globe, and BAFTA nominations for her supporting part in that movie as well. She plays Lois Lane in the recent DC Comics movies, you know, Superman's romantic interest slash partner. Following that, she was cast in another David O. Russell film, American Hustle, with Christian Bale, Jennifer Lawrence, and Bradley Cooper, her second movie with Christian Bale. Did you ever see that? No, did you? Yeah. It's it's good? good? Yeah. Huh. I enjoyed it. Who's the main star of that movie? If there was to be one, I would say honestly, I would say all four of those people. Uh, okay, were uh, is it a comedy or? There's comedic parts. It's kind of like uh, I don't even know how to describe it. Um, they're like con men, oh, okay. essentially. Yeah, they befriend rich people and try to con them out of their money. And Jennifer Lawrence and Bradley Cooper, a couple. And her and Christian Bale are a couple, and you know they perform these cons together. But it's like a sequel to that movie where Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence are both mentally ill dancers. <laughs> no, <laughs> but I think that was also a, Silver Linings Playbook. I think that is a. I think that's also a David Russell film. Okay, so it is a sequel. <laughs> <laughs> well, this takes place in the seventies, so ah, American Hustle does. She was nominated for Best Actress in that movie. And in that same year, both American Hustle and the movie Her were both up for Best Picture. So I'd imagine that's one of those years she was the highest paid actress in the world. That makes sense. Yeah. And she was in the movie Nocturnal Animals, and followed by that, she was in Arrival. Uh, she received critical acclaim for Arrival. Arrival's great. Yeah, it really was. And a lot of critics were really upset and felt that she was snubbed because she was overlooked at the Oscars although she was nominated for her role in the film at the Golden Globes and BAFTA. She wasn't even nominated for a rival in the Oscars? No, yeah, that's the thing. 
critics were like, what the hell? This was amazing. The Oscars are a bunch of idiots. Yeah, I mean, it's it's all like, it's all about greasing palms and grabbing ass. Yeah, and you know what? If anyone who works in the Oscar committee is listening, I apologize for nothing. You're all a bunch of idiots. No, yeah. yeah. Go to hell. Where's Leonardo DiCaprio's Oscar? Why did it take so long? <laughs> What's up with that? True. Ooh, I, I know you haven't seen this yet, but you really need to. Uh, she returned to the small screen in 2017, I believe, for the HBO miniseries titled Sharp Objects, where she plays a self-mutilating reporter who returns to her hometown to investigate a murder, which turns into a string of mysterious deaths after she arrives. I do need to watch that. I didn't know about the self-mutilating part, though. I mean, you don't like actually see her okay. cutting herself. That's good. It was, it's I was really say that like I I don't know why that freaks me out. No, it's part of her past, and it the only reason they include that in the description is because it does kind of play a big role in her. It, it's just a big part of her character. That makes sense. Yeah, no, I'm cool with that. I don't yeah. mind like it being talked about. I just can't handle seeing it. No, it even is knowing the, it's not real, it just freaks me out. I'm pretty sure it was only eight episodes, so it goes by quick. And there's some other really good actors in it. For the role, Adams read a bright red scream to learn about self-mutilation and studied the Munchausen syndrome by proxy, which is also an important, like, interesting, yeah, psychological condition that plays a large role in the series. In interviews, she claimed it was difficult to separate herself from the role and suffered from insomnia during filming, which probably only aided in building that character, I would imagine. Yeah, it's a good thing she got through it and didn't mm-hmm. like play Heath Ledger. Yeah. And after this, she teamed up with Christian Bale for a third time for her portrayal of Lynn Cheney in Adam McKay's Vice. Oh. Yeah, I still want to see that. Yeah, I kind of want to see that too. Mm-hmm. I heard mixed Appar- things, but... I yeah, I heard it's interesting you find out how responsible Lynn Cheney is for making Dick Cheney the man that he ended up being. Yeah, it seems like maybe a good 80 to 85 to 95%. Yeah, exactly. Like she was kind of Or I like, mean not to say he's like just some innocent guy yeah, going along no, with something, but like not it's, just an empty suit. I feel like when I like in interviews I've seen with either of them, you know, Dick Cheney seems like is evil as he is he's a pretty sharp dude she seems like she's way smarter than him mm-hmm. it's like funny she's the brains of that marriage uh i read that uh people who knew her before she even met dick cheney would say about her that whoever she ends up marrying will end up being president one day well kind of was we're close <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah so back to the episode that was a long amy adams run what episode are we even doing anymore <laughs> Uh, we this see Amy Adams podcast discussion. <laughs> <laughs> we see uh, Kevin behind Pam's desk. It looks like he's sending a fax or something. And uh, he's chatting with Pam about Katie and uh, asks her if she's jealous. That there's a num- another woman in the office getting attention. So ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. And Pam's like, no. And Kevin's she's prettier than you. <laughs> prettier than you that's rude kevin yeah i also put in my notes that i feel like this is the first time that we kind of get any clear indication of kevin's intelligence or at least the perception of it yeah i feel like pam addresses him like she doesn't even seem like 
offended necessarily by what he said so much as just like scolding him like he's like a seven-year-old that's right. just like being just like a rude boy you right know? yeah because if it were anyone else she would be pissed yeah for kevin it's just like oh, come on dude yeah it's not nice <laughs> so with this new hot girl in the office we got hormones swirling around <laughs> uh we cut to uh katie in the conference room talking to somebody about her purses and in the background we see Kevin and Dwight by the water cooler, just staring her down, slowly sipping their water. I'm amazed she even sticks around for more than like an hour. I know, right? Like the periwinkles and the purples. The purse girl hits everything on my checklist. Creamy skin, straight teeth, curly hair, amazing breasts. Not for me, for my children. The shroots produce very thirsty babies. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Very thirsty babies. <laughs> it's funny, uh, not too long ago, we had a female print technician come into my office to like work on one of our large format printers. Is your office like male-dominated? Yeah, we've, okay. we've only got two women working there. Okay. Um, it was really funny because <laughs> most of the guys who were single kept like, trying to go over and chat up this girl oh god and they were doing things like you know they'd put up their arm and like kind of like <laughs> lean against the door frame while talking to her and like sipping their coffee and they were all trying to be macho and everything and i wonder how much of that's even like intentional yeah no versus it's just like subconscious yeah, yeah. Like a bird puffing out there right whatever that's called yeah, a bird that they puff out peacocking yeah <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i just found that funny because this episode just <laughs> does a really good job of capturing that phenomenon. Yeah. So Michael pops into the conference room, decides it's time that Katie took the grand tour of the office, <laughs> suggests that maybe going around meeting people would help generate some sales. And so he's walking her around, they go into the break room and there's Oscar on his cell phone. And without any consideration to the, other, the person on the other end of the phone, Michael introduces Katie to Oscar I love how he does it by grabbing like Oscar's arm and Oscar physically recoils into the wall. Like he jumps yeah. away from Michael so much. He just smashes right into it. Right. Uh, <laughs> Michael calls him Oscar the grouch and claims that he thought of that. And that's from Sesame street. No. Yeah. <laughs> Can you believe that nobody ever called him that before he worked here? <laughs> no, I can't believe that. <laughs> And uh, we see Pam walk out of the bathroom and kind of smirk at Michael's assault on, on Katie. See, that's what's making me think that maybe that was Pam's well, MO. is just yeah. like, you know, Michael has just been a, a lot. But this one day I can just, you know, pawn him off on this poor woman. I suppose. I don't think <laughs> she thought that far ahead, though. But maybe. I don't know. Yeah. She's a clever chickadee. Yeah. But yeah, she she has a talking head where she talks about how sh she likes having Katie around because it keeps Michael at bay. Here is Toby from Human Resources. Katie, Toby. Hi. Toby, Hi. Katie. Did you go to um, uh, Bishop O'Hara? Yeah. Yeah, me too. Cool. What year were you there? 89. Toby's oh, divorced. Yeah. He, uh, God. recently, right? You yeah. and your wife. And you have kids. Oh. Oh, that's so, it was really messy. 
You slept one night in your car, too? I should probably get back to my table. Okay. All right. Cool. See you in a bit. Oh, she's cute. Cutie pie. Back to work. Poor Toby. Yeah. <laughs> I like how in the deleted scenes, they really drag it out a lot longer. Yeah. He goes into like oh, so much more excruciating detail. Yeah. He's on antidepressants. Asks how much he's paying alimony to his ex-wife. Probably child support. Michael just goes, oh man, you can't afford anything, can you? <laughs> you still sleeping in your car? And uh, I feel like, I don't know which one's funnier. I feel like they're both funny. Maybe they stuck with the right one, but how in the deleted scene, you know, he waits until Katie leaves and then Michael comments to Toby, you know, she's pretty cute, huh? Right. Which is pretty great, considering everything. <laughs> but then the one that made it into the episode, he makes the same comment, but about Toby's daughter. Right. Which, like, if anything, I feel like it just twists the dagger that much more. Because it's oh, like, yeah. you know, it's not only is he, like, wrecking his, like, not even existent chances with this random woman that he's just, like, right. hitting it off with because they went to the same high school. Right. But he's, like, yeah, just going into detail about his family and his divorce and... It's funny to me that Michael was like so felt so threatened by Toby just having this like one thing in common with Katie that they went to the same high school in completely different like four year intervals. Yeah, but it's Michael. I know. Desperate. <laughs> Desperate and lovely. just insecure. I feel like he oh, yeah. gets that way about everything. Right. It's true. So we get a talking head with Michael. We learn that he lives by just one rule. <laughs> no office romances <laughs> too messy inappropriate but he lives by another rule just do it <laughs> nike it seems to be the rule that everyone else lives by as the show continues too. yeah i feel like there's definitely way less people by the end of the series that have not been romantically involved with one another in the office than there are that have it's in true. fact is there anybody that's not meredith oh no meredith and creed did. Yep. Yeah, they did. I think maybe Stanley is the only person. Yeah. That while he we do see him have multiple romantic partners throughout yeah. the series, but no one that's in the office. Phyllis, <laughs> who here wants to live in a world where Stanley has two sexual partners and you have none? <laughs> oh, poor Stanley. What do you mean, poor Stanley? He's the one that raises his hand. Oh, well, that's true. It's but it's funny that like. Oh, man. Uh, Neither of them know about Lydia. (laughs) (laughs) So we cut to the break room. Jim, Roy, Pam, and Kevin are having lunch together. And, of course, they're all chatting about the hot girl that's in the office for the day. And uh, Roy's kind of prodding Jim into asking her out. Um, And as a defense mechanism, Jim claims that he's only into moms. Yeah, well, that's after Roy... Ask him if he's gay. Oh, right. It's like looking for a reason why he's not going to. Yeah. Right. Roy gets very offended at the mom thing, seemingly. I don't understand that. It's disgusting. That's disgusting. Maybe he's really protective (laughs) over his mom, who we never meet and never hear about. Could be. And Roy's brother also appears to be like 20 years older than him. There's a lot about Roy that doesn't make (laughs) sense. I know, right. (laughs) Oh. And, uh. Kevin's also a little offended by Jim's 
proclivity for moms and is he well yeah because he says stay away from my mom yeah but i think that's just kevin being folksy (laughs) jim says too late (laughs) Uh, and then roy makes his gaffe by saying that he'd be all over that if he weren't dating pam and of course pam's super pissed that he said that and says we're not dating we're not dating we're engaged she storms off we get a talking head with jim talking about his friendship with pam and that they're buddies in the office and Pam talks to him about her problems with Roy and work. work. And yeah. Those, those are, are her only two problems. Those are only two problems. Basically the two things that comprise of 99% <laughs> of her life. Right. <laughs> uh, and then we cut to Jim and Dwight at their desks and Jim is goading Dwight into asking Katie out. She'd be perfect for you. Mm. She's been talking to Michael a lot. So what? You're assistant regional manager. Assistant to the regional manager. You know what, Dwight? He's your work boss. Okay? He's not your relationship boss. That's true. Plus, you have so much more to talk to this girl about. You're both, uh, salesmen. I mean, that's something right there. True. Plus, I could talk to her about the origins of my last name. It's all gold. (laughs) (laughs) Your assistant regional manager. Assistant to the regional manager. <laughs> I like that Michael's trained him to correct it himself. <laughs> well, I think it's only it's only because it's only when Dwight isn't feeling his oats, so to speak. Yeah, you know, like whenever he wants that little bit of power, he's assistant regional manager. But <laughs> when he's not confident in himself, he's just assistant to the regional manager. I like that you use the phrase oats. Mm. Are you think? Were you at least? It made me think specifically of. I don't know if you were of Dwight's yeah family tradition sowing is sowing the, the wild, wild oats. oats yeah. Whenever a Dwight, whenever a shrewd man gets to the woman, his parents give him a sack of oats left outside his door. <laughs> Do anything you want with them. Your oats. <laughs> <laughs> I like that in the when the scene starts off too. I feel like we get shades of later seasons, like more genuine, less kind of depressed being a jerk all the time jim where he's like starts off by giving dwight like genuinely good advice like i mean besides him goading dwight into dating her perfect for you (laughs) well after that i guess more like the you know he's he's your work boss not your relationship boss like i feel like that yeah like dwight gives a lot of it or not dwight Jim. jim gives a lot of advice like that to dwight and michael later on as the series goes when they're just like super weirdly in their head about something being ridiculous and that's true he kind of lays out the reality for them yeah we get some of jim's humanitarian side yeah and we see those well i don't know about dwight but we see michael do that at least once or twice for jim as well oh yeah inadvertently friendship is a two-way road yeah (laughs) although dwight and jim are mortal enemies indeed yeah so following this jim gives dwight a little coaching Gives him a little pep talk before he goes into the conference room. He did major in public speaking in college. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, gives Dwight a fallback that, you know, if the conversation goes awry, you could always just buy a purse. And uh, Dwight's like, Psh, yeah, right. What am I going to do with a purse? And Jim <laughs> brings up that in GQ magazine, it's now stylish for men to brandish a purse and call it just like a mini briefcase. 
So with with this ammunition, Dwight heads off into the conference room to strike up a conversation <laughs> with Katie and Pim run uh, Pim. Pim. Jim, Jim Jim runs over to Pam's desk and uh they start doing a funny voiceover shtick while Dwight is talking with Katie and they they look on. Yeah, it's a nice little fun back and forth. Yeah. Miming their voices. Jim is better at it than Pam. I feel like Jim almost does like a kind of like British. Yeah, he does. Kind of Monty Python-esque thing with his voice. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, we never really see him do anything like that. No. After this. Um, so they do the little voiceovers and Dwight obviously has to fall back to plan B because we see him buying a purse. But <laughs> while, while he's talking to Katie, we do get to see Dwight stress testing <laughs> versus before he decides which one he's he's gonna buy and you just see katie looking at him and watching him just in fear for her merchandise so what does he do first he's he punches he puts, it no he puts his foot in well yeah he the, does that the person the handles <laughs> he steps he, into it i think yeah. he also punches it and he smashes it against yeah, the table then he a bunch starts of smashing it against the table after the the foot stress test and then in the uh, deleted scene, you see him like waving it around like it's like nunchucks. Like it's a nunchuck, yeah. By the, by, by the straps. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> I wonder, because in the deleted scene, we see him like lift up his shirt to show Katie his alligator skin belt. Oh, yeah. And uh, I so wonder. It was an alligator skin purse. Right. I wonder how they were going to put that in there for him to go in a second time strike up the converse maybe maybe that was in a extended clip of him like having his conversation with katie it just didn't it felt weird to me like what do you mean where they would have put it in the chronologically in the episode oh i guess they could have just ended that meeting that they had with dwight not getting a purse and being kicked out by michael and then i guess the only difference but then we see dwight with the purse later in the episode yeah, I guess that maybe they just would have not had those like mm. two shots of Dwight sitting at his desk with a purse on his arm. It's true. If you cut it, it's not like you'd be missing a lot necessarily. That's true. So Dwight buys a purse, walks out of the conference room, proud new owner of a very of a black and very understated professional looking purse. Yeah, it's not a bad looking purse. Jim gives him the thumbs up, like, yeah, <laughs> that was a good one. It's a good purse. <laughs> Uh, and then we have Pam decides to to browse Katie's purses. Mm-hmm. She's in the conference room talking to her, and Michael walks in to ask Katie about the coffee, and it's very awkward. <laughs> uh, Michael says, oh, "I figured you guzzled it down, you greedy little thing. <laughs> you greedy little thing, you <laughs> greedy little thing, you." And uh, Michael asks Pam if. She's on her lunch break, or did she take her lunch break when she was eating lunch in the break room earlier with everyone? Busted. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, Katie's upset by this because she essentially lost a potential sale. What did she say when, or I I think both a sale and she lost a conversation with the only person the entire day that hasn't been harassing her. Right. Stop. Yeah. For real. It's just like, come back. You know, yeah. the, the only normal conversation she had besides that was like three seconds with Toby before Michael made it unbearable. Right. <laughs> so excited that he has some common interest with Katie and his love for coffee. 
he brings her into his office to show her a new espresso maker that he got from Starbucks. <laughs> and unbeknownst to her, it's the incentive prize for the top salesman. But it almost seems like Michael's very willing to give it to her if she had just asked <laughs> yeah, him. Yeah, don't tempt me. Yeah. So I'll give it to you. <laughs> um, so then we get a talking head with a very caffeinated Michael Scott. <laughs> and uh he's talking about coffee as the great incentivizer in the office and it's literally a drug <laughs> <laughs> the whole time he's talking his hands are are moving very rapidly and shiftily and uh he mentions that dunder mifflin in the 80s your stories <laughs> before everyone knew how bad cocaine was, was for you <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but man did they move a lot of paper i love that just childlike innocence of michael of like Nobody would do cocaine if they knew how bad it is for you. Right. So, like, that just must have been, you know, nobody had any idea. Right. This thing's great. It's like coffee. <laughs> so, uh, as Michael's showing Katie the espresso maker, she gets, I guess, a text message on her phone. And uh, she's all bummed because the ride home she had lined up bailed on her. So, of course, Michael jumps on this opportunity, come to the rescue. And uh, doesn't give her an option to, almost doesn't give her an option to say no. Just wants to give her that ride real bad. Yeah. And uh, he gets very excited when she accepts his offer. Very reluctantly. <laughs> yeah. Accepts. She's, yeah. She, it's almost like she says yes just because it'd be too awkward if she stayed there had she said no. Yeah. And just, you know, I mean, she has to get home somehow. It's true. I don't know how Scranton's public transportation is. Uber is not around at this point. Oh, that no. doesn't exist for years. Mm -mm. So we cut to Michael's office. Dwight is asking Michael's permission to ask Katie out. <laughs> and uh, Michael tells Dwight that he should know that he's giving Katie a ride home after work and can't promise that's all it's going to be. Can't promise or won't promise. <laughs> we don't know. And uh, Dwight asks if Michael is in love with her. And Michael, <laughs> Do you love her? <laughs> Michael doesn't say no. He says, it's too early to tell. And then he doesn't know how he feels yet. But maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so does Dwight love her? <laughs> well, we know that she checks off a lot of his boxes. So it's true. You know, amazing breasts. What is love <laughs> if you're Dwight Schrute, if not a woman who checks off all your boxes? So we cut to Stanley in the conference room buying a purse from Katie. Michael walks in to give Katie an espresso, brewed fresh from the new espresso maker. Uh, and Stanley asks <laughs> if he opened and used the espresso maker already. And Michael assures Stanley that it's very easy to clean. <laughs> like he's going to win it anyway. That <laughs> uh, cuts to Pam in Michael's office and... Uh, Michael asks Pam for some advice. So did we get any mail? Yeah, I gave it to you. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. Just checking. Just checking, double checking. Checking on the check. Thoroughness is very important in an office. And... So can I... Yeah, yeah. Of course. Um, Pam, one more thing. Um, how do girls your age feel about futons? Oh... <laughs> <laughs> uh... So it, it's worth noting in that clip behind Michael, you see the espresso maker <laughs> and it's just covered in 
coffee-stained paper towels. Yeah, it looks disgusting. <laughs> but it's really funny after he had assured Stanley, like, don't worry. It's, it's really very easy, easy to clean. clean. <laughs> He's just got this huge mess of paper towels everywhere. <laughs> oh, it's so good. I also like, uh, just again, more Michael's, like, childlike whimsy and innocence that he asks Pam, like, how do girls her age feel about a futon? Like, I mean, besides just the sailing right past the absurdity that he sleeps on a futon at, like, age 45 or whatever. <laughs> yeah. That he calls Pam and Katie girls. Like, they're women. Like, yeah, they're not girls their age. They're just women. Like, come on now, Michael. Yeah. <laughs> good little Michael Scott characterization. Yeah. Yeah. But I think he, in his defense, I don't think he's so much infantilizing women as he also perceives himself to be like eight or nine years old on an average day. Oh, yeah, no. Like, that's how he identifies with the world. Right. Yeah, he never really really grew beyond calling, you know, women girls. They've always, he's just still in that mode. Yeah. Yeah. Although, I would say he has definitely been infantilizing Katie the entire rest of the episode. Just maybe not specifically in that one scene. That's true. Uh, just being really creepy and weird. So Pam immediately runs to Jim's desk to tell him about this, that Michael <laughs> sleeps on a futon still. Futon? <laughs> and uh, she's sitting like very close to Jim. Like, she's like on his desk, I think. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. But like on his desk or not, she's still just like almost in his lap. In a yeah, way. no, I feel like it like could be a shot from like, married jim and pam like yeah exactly it's it would be easy to look at them and think that they're flirting yeah but then when roy comes in he doesn't seem to be like remotely bothered or even notice it at all like as opposed to when they're holding hands and he freaks out it's true so yeah as they're talking about michael's futon roy walks in and uh obviously pam is still kind of miffed at him for making that remark about Katie. Oh, yeah. Justifiably so. So Roy, you know, probably does this every time that Pam is mad at him. Starts, like, tickling her and saying, oh, come on, Pam, come on. And... Well, do you think... I don't know that she was necessarily upset that he said that Katie was attractive. It was more that he, like, diminished their relationship status and said that they're just dating yeah, I mean, I mean I'm the, sure way, the way a, Roy, the way Roy, Roy didn't just simply be like say that he thinks Katie's pretty. He said, "I would be all over that if yeah. I weren't dating Pam." Like, right? Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, she's probably upset that he said they're just dating, but I would imagine she's also pretty upset that he's like looking at Katie and thinking these things about her. Well, yeah, maybe I'm just reading too much into it, like assuming that like. Roy being Roy, that's probably not like the first and only time that he talks about other women in front of, or maybe even to Pam. Yeah, maybe. So I figured maybe she would just be like, at least that's like, you know, she didn't seem to have like, that's the part that she brought up specifically. Right. And then she stormed out. True. I mean, so I don't know. I guess yeah. it could be anything. Hmm. I feel like I would be more upset if my significant other were like, wanting to jump the bones of another guy and outwardly saying this to people I work with. Yeah. Even if she didn't like specify our relationship properly. 
Although, does she even really want to be in that relationship even at this point? Well, no. And yeah, we maybe, definitely... maybe she would take as, as an excuse, like a much-needed excuse to leave if Roy cheated on her. Right. No, I totally, I mean, yeah, I totally agree. I mean, the whole theme of this episode is kind of drawing this thread between Jim, Pam, and Michael, and maybe even Dwight, that they're all desperate and lonely in their own way. Yeah. Maybe even Angela. <laughs> a little bit, but, uh, you know, we no, only... just kidding. Yeah. Um, so we get a talking head with Pam. Uh, she's talking about Jim and saying that Jim is like a brother to her and they're best friends in the office. And she really hopes that he finds someone someday. Mm -hmm. And then we cut to Angela in the conference room, browsing purses with Katie and Dwight's sitting at his desk, kind of brooding, <laughs> just has a nervous energy about him as he, as he looks on into the conference room and once he builds up enough enough nerve, he gets up from his desk and marches into the conference room, and uh, he's got a question for Katie. Really, um, kind of festive. It's got a lot yeah, of personality. Hey, how's it going? Good. Can I talk to you for a second in private? I don't think so. Yeah, just take a second. Right just for a minute. I really please. I, I wanted to talk to you in private because I wanted to ask you out on a date. No. Was that no to talking to me in private, or was that no to the date? Both. <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor Dwight. Yeah. So after she says no, the camera cuts to Angela, and Angela has this little empathetic moment for Dwight, I feel like. Yeah, she's, it's, I don't know, it's hard to tell what she's feeling. Is I she feel like maybe she, upset because she likes Dwight? I feel like she feels bad for him for getting yeah. rejected and such like a... Feels awkward she's there. Awkward she's there. But also, this shows her that Dwight is interested in finding a romantic partner. Mm. And maybe she sees this as an in to strike up a little romance with Dwight. Because we don't really know how it ever got started. That's true. So, and this this does kind of blow my theory out of the water about uh, Dwight singing Little Drummer Boy in episode one being maybe a sign that him and Angela had already yeah. started something up. So. Maybe she's the one that initiates. Catherine Zeta finds her <laughs> Michael Scarn. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Dwight slowly walks out of the conference room, hanging his head in shame. I feel like we get a lot of Dwight... <laughs> hanging his head in shame in this episode like a well no not even just this episode just oh. the first season like peanut style like hanging his head <laughs> right. just like yeah <laughs> it's true slowly walking um <laughs> we cut to ryan and michael cleaning out michael's car which seemingly he's never done since he's owned it because there's just so much crap in there well first before that uh Michael goes up to Ryan's desk and asks Ryan if he would like to work on a special project. Oh, really? Yeah, and Ryan is just like, yeah, like that sounds great. And then it cuts to them down to the parking lot oh, okay. and him just shoveling garbage <laughs> into this bag. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, yeah, so Ryan's in his backseat kind of picking stuff up and telling Michael whether he should like keep stuff or throw it away. 
He's got a partial blo- bottle of uh, energy drink. And Michael says, what kind? <laughs> Ryan says, blue. Ooh, blue blast. <laughs> blue is not a flavor, Ryan. Oh, it's blue blast. Oh, blue blast. Yeah, go ahead and put that in the trunk. <laughs> and he pulls out a bottle, an unopened bottle of Arctic Chill. He's like, put that in the cup holder. Yeah. For Katie. I want that in the passenger seat yeah, cup holder. Yeah, in the passenger seat cup holder. Uh, an old cologne bottle? <laughs> well, no, that comes after Oh, this. that comes so after. It cuts back to the office, and Jim makes his way into the conference room to chat Katie up a little bit, and he puts on his, his gym charm. And, uh, Slash being the only like normal, sane, non-predatory person right. in the office. Exactly. And uh, yeah, it makes Katie laugh a little bit. And you know, you can tell that she's a little interested in him. Yeah. And then we cut back to Michael and Ryan. And Ryan goes to throw away a, a bone-dry bottle <laughs> of what Michael calls Dracar Noir cologne. And Ryan looks at the label and he says, oh, this says it's Rite Aid Night Swept. <laughs> and I guess it's swept, which I read on the internet. But in the episode, I thought he had said it was called Rite Aid Night Sweat. It's Night Sweat. <laughs> That's hilarious. I definitely heard swept. <laughs> yeah. I kind of wish it was sweat because that would be really funny. <laughs> right in Night uh-huh. Sweat. <laughs> So it's like some weird medical tonic that Michael needs for night sweats. It's not even clone. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was imagining it more like the sweat produced from a night of love making, like, and that's like the ad campaign for this clone. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I thought I a lot that, about this. I don't know apparently. if I see that clone going places. <laughs> no. I mean, you know, it's a Rite Aid smell alike. So. <laughs> So Michael stops Ryan from throwing it away and says, no, that's still good. And he unscrews the cap yeah. and proceeds to poke and prod his face with the still st- a little bit in the tube, the straw of <laughs> the, straw. the, uh, yeah. the pump nozzle. <laughs> and uh, Ryan's throwing away stuff that's been piled up in the passenger seat and uh, says, wow, how many filet of fish can you eat? <laughs> it's over several months. <laughs> still. so uh pam meanders back over to jim's desk and sits on the corner and asks jim what his weekend plans are and jim nonchalantly brings up that uh he asked katie out for drinks tonight and uh pam seems a little taken aback yeah she gets very awkward her energy kind of shifts into you know kind of nervous uncomfortable jealous one would say and uh yeah definitely i mean it's like very similar to how she is like all of season or half season three i guess right and it's just funny because it this comes after she had a talking head with the camera crew about you know how she hopes jim finds someone yeah yeah well it's like someone who feels the need to proclaim after some issue like i'm over it you're truly over it right would you say it like would you even think about it to say it it's a good point um and it also shows that like pam pam's heart and her head are conflicted over jim she's still gonna be pamela anderson one day (laughs) (laughs) uh so you know almost what seems to try to steer away from the awkwardness jim asks her what she's doing that weekend (laughs) oh yeah 
Pam tries to make it sound like she's going to have a fun time helping Roy's brother move with his pickup truck. <laughs> yeah, sounds great. <laughs> Seems like cool, cool, very cool. Well, I'll see you Monday, right? Pam says, yeah, and gets up and walks back to her desk, and she's still visibly just kind of let down, maybe, or crushed, or, you know. Yeah, it just, like, I mean... Yeah, she probably doesn't know quite how she feels, but not right. good. Yeah. Conflicted. Yeah, she's saving Jim. <laughs> you know? She right. doesn't want him at the moment, but knowing yeah. that he's off the table. True. That's no that good. That he could be, eventually. Yeah. So we cut to a talking head with Michael, talking about how people call him a ladies' man, and <laughs> some people say that he's got a very symmetrical face. <laughs> it's it's uh, part of... What he thinks is important to be a ladies' man is to not let anybody know that you're a ladies' man. So he, <laughs> he likes to keep that pretty, play that pretty close to the chest. <laughs> but yeah, he does have a pretty symmetrical face. Yeah. And you know, people also tell him he has very pretty eyes. <laughs> Shrek green. Shrek green. <laughs> uh, I love uh, that whatever episode that is when Jan brings that up to Michael or when Michael brings that up to Jan, like talking about like what color wallpaper or something or drapes and you know, people always tell me I have very pretty eyes. She's like, Oh, you do. And he's like, I don't hear the same about you. <laughs> uh, so the camera cuts to Pam and she's uh, discreetly applying lip gloss at her desk, probably because she's feeling a little down on herself. Yeah. After the events of the day. And uh, cut to the parking lot at Quitting Time. Katie's walking her and her purses between Michael and Jim. And, you know, as they're walking, Michael's like, oh, good night, Jim. And Katie kind of starts going Jim's direction as Michael starts veering off towards his car. And I like how I just, I'm going to cut you off for one second yeah. and say before this happens. I like that she calls out behind her to the office. It was nice meeting some of you. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, Michael asks where she's going, and uh, Jim's like, oh, I don't know. We were going to go grab a drink or two. and With us? <laughs> with us, yeah. And Katie says, oh, I guess I should have told you I don't need that ride anymore. Uh, Jim can just drop me off afterwards. Michael's obviously crushed and embarrassed. and Yeah, but he plays it cool. Yeah, he plays it cool, but, you know, the cameras are on him, and he's just kind of, like, trying to wave them away. And... Yeah, making a lot of weird Michael noises. Right. <laughs> and uh camera kind of pans over to Jim, letting Katie into his car, and we get a shot of Pam and Roy's truck reversing and kind of watching Pim. Uh, Pim, I keep doing that. Pim. Watching, <laughs> watching Jim... Uh, you know, talk up his Corolla to Katie in a tongue-in-cheek. I'll freak you out. Kind of a way. really nice scar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Pam does not look pleased. No, she seems sad. But, you know, she better get home and get some rest. She's got a full day of moving ahead of her. <laughs> yeah. And uh, rest for the wicked. And then we get a, a talking head with Michael to close out the season. Okay. It's a, it's a very nice car. But you're not going to freak out. Do I have a special someone? Uh, well, yeah, of course. A bunch of them. My employees. If I had to choose between a one-night stand with some stupid cow I pick up at a bar and these people, I pick them every time. Because with them, it is an everyday stand. 
and I still know their names in the morning. I saw you wrote in your notes, but uh, who are these people? Yeah. <laughs> As Michael's giving this talking head, it kind of like shows shots of people working around the office. And uh, oddly enough, two of the people they show are, are women that we never meet again or know their names at all or have even seen before this point. But at least Michael knows their names. Allegedly. Right. <laughs> yeah, allegedly. <laughs> I thought that was a good way to end the season just talking you know seeing michael's love for his job and the people he works with yeah you know i agree it would have been an odd end to the series if it had not gotten renewed for more it's true but i guess it would have worked if it's just like a weird single shot instance into some office where nothing super interesting happens all things considered yeah yeah that's the season yeah that's that's season one. That's how it, it ends. We did it. Podcast over. Woohoo! <laughs> no. That's been People Persons Paper People, our <laughs> podcast about season one of The Office and American Workplace. <laughs> no, we got a lot of work ahead of us. This is the shortest season in the series. And yeah. Yeah. It's barely even. I mean, it's like they kept the British model with the episode count, too. Yeah. A, a lot of first seasons of shows or at least comedy sitcoms are really short. Like Parks and Rec, I think, was also only six episodes. Yeah, I think so. Seinfeld was only was six or eight, I feel like. Yeah, I think the first season it was like maybe six, yeah, six or eight or seven. Yeah. And then even season two of that, I want to say, was like 12 or 13 episodes. Right. And I think season three, they maybe got 21, and then they got bumped up to like 25 after that right. or something. But yeah, and The Office goes all over the place, too. Yeah, because season four, I think. I think that's like 12 episodes. Yeah, but a lot of them them are two-parters. Yeah, I was going to say a lot of them are two-parters. Yeah. I think there's three two-part episodes in that season. So that's still, that bumps it up to like 15, but that's still not a ton. I wouldn't be surprised if um, the reason they did that for season four is because of maybe trying to work around filming schedules. I know it had a lot to do with the writer's strike. Oh, that's right. That was what was going on then. That's right. I forgot about that. But it might have been that too. Yeah. Hmm. We'll probably find out when we get there. Yeah. In our research. Yeah. But yeah, that's it for season one. I I thought it was pretty good to rewatch season one again. Yeah, for sure. At least like paying closer attention. Exactly. I was going to say, I've never gone through it really analyzing everything and like thinking about the show, the show's beginning in relation to the rest of it you mm-hmm. know what i mean like yeah never really thought about how the characters develop in this season and how they are moving forward and yeah it was fun yeah it was fun to go through this time and it's interesting because i feel like it also bringing up seinfeld before it feels similar to seinfeld or parks and recreation in the sense that like it really doesn't feel like what you know the show to be like in the first season true it it's not bad, but it's just not the same. But you know what's funny is going through it this time, it's also it I don't even know how to put this. It there's more substance to it than I realized there was in the past. I yeah. Guess. I'm with you there. Yeah. And a lot of seeds that kind of, you know, become fully fledged ideas right. moving forward. Right. I didn't realize either. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. We even see Andy's name on the sales uh, board in this episode. 
Oh, really? Katie, yeah, when Katie is selling purses, everyone's sales figures are up behind her. Huh. And uh, Andy, and it also tracks with Andy's character later, he's like third to the bottom. And the <laughs> two names beneath him are two people who we like never, never meet. Like yeah. someone named Roger and I think I had it in my notes. Who's your son? Roger and uh, Michelle. Huh. But yeah. Interesting. So is it just Andy on the board or is it Andy Bernard? It just says Andy, oh, but okay. I assume it's like salespeople that are from other branches as well, but Scranton branch is outperforming them. Yeah. Because Jim is the top of the list, and then next down is Dwight, then Stanley, then Phyllis, and then Andy. Wow. Yeah. Jim's top in the list. He is. That doesn't seem to be in character for this first season for him. Seems like maybe Dwight is having an off month or something. Could be months i guess it is just a single month of sales figures yeah i think it's it shows the figures for like two months in a row okay but dwight or jim is on top in both categories hmm. and i feel like there's like i want to say maybe stanley is like tied up with jim for the past month but in the current month he's lagging behind a little bit or something interesting i didn't even i didn't even notice that as i was going through it yeah and i even wrote down all the figures for what their sales were but i figured that's just not interesting enough to even bother going through <laughs> well at least you pointed out that it was there yeah yeah that's cool so we see a little andy all right time for ratings 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 What do you think? I think I'd give this episode 7 out of 10 coffee-stained paper towels. Okay. It's not bad. Yeah. Yeah. I liked the episode. I liked how relatable it was and just that I've experienced similar things when a strange lady makes an appearance in an office and stays for an extended period of time. Yeah. No, it was, it was a good episode. Yeah. I don't know what I'm going to rate it. I'm debating if, uh, I guess I think I might just take, you know, share your rating with you. Yeah. So I feel like, yeah, I don't like, you know, hate it. I don't want to like pour acid on it, but <laughs> yeah, but I also wouldn't like necessarily go to it to put it on. No. Unless it was just kind of up in the running order. Actually, maybe I'm going to reduce it a little bit. I think okay. I'm going to give it six blue blasts. Blue blast. <laughs> yes. I, like uh, I should have gone with night sweats six <laughs> night sweats <laughs> night sweats <laughs> uh, i love it <laughs> but yeah it was it was solid but uh you know just it it didn't do a whole lot mm -hmm. we have some good moments some really unbearable michael but it uh i don't know yeah this wasn't one of the strongest episodes yeah doesn't really live up to its successors Especially compared to the next episode, which I know I brought up with you mm -hmm. recently, is like one of my probably top five all time episodes of The Office. It's pretty great. But whole new season, whole new, you know, setting and budget, whole new hairline for Steve Carell. Yeah. We got a lot of stuff coming. Really, just like a whole new tone for the show moving forward. Yeah, it's very different. Not nearly as depressing. 
and they're like you know they're out of the office i think for most of the episode in the next one they're oh yeah only in it for like five minutes i would say yeah three three quarters of the episode takes place in a chili's yes yeah wait yeah i think it was chili's mm-hmm. but we can talk about that when we get to it <laughs> and we shall yes hey paper people we want to hear from you guys drop us a line you can find us on facebook at facebook.com slash out of paper pod you can follow our instagram feed at out of paper pod or hit us up on twitter at o paper pod which to me sounds like oh tenenbaum but twitter just assigned us this name and now we're stuck with it so thanks twitter all right guys thank you for joining us season one finale yeah all done out of paper out peace out of paper out of stock there's friendly faces around the block break loose from the chains that are causing you pain come like a stanley jim dewine and creek call indian kelly for your business paper needs called under mifflin people persons paper people under mifflin people persons wow how many filet of fishes did you eat? That's over several months, Ryan. Still. Out of Paper is not endorsed by DLD Productions or NBC and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The Office, the Office logo, and all character, pictures, and audio of The Office are registered trademarks and or copyrights of their registered copyright holders.